Let us give our attention to the reading of the scripture this morning. The reading comes from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 10, verses 25 through 37. Just then, a lawyer stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he said, what must I do to inherit eternal life? He said to him, what is written in the law? What do you read there? And he answered, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, you have given the right answer. Do this and you will live. But wanting to justify himself, he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? Jesus replied, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell into the hands of robbers who stripped him, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. Now, by chance, a priest was going down that road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. So, likewise, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, while traveling, came near him, and when he saw him, he was moved with pity. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, having poured oil and wine on them. Then he put him on his own animal, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day he took out two denarii, gave them to the innkeeper, and said, Take care of him, and when I come back, I will repay you whatever more you spend. Which of these three do you think? was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of the robbers. And he said, the one who showed him mercy. Jesus said to him, go and do likewise. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Good morning, friends. It is beautiful to be in worship together today. I know that this weekend represents holy remembrances for so many. And so it's wonderful that we can come together and share in a time of worship this morning. As we enter the parable of the Good Samaritan for week two, we do so on a dangerous road. Last week, you might remember, we traveled together through my experience on Phantom Canyon Road in Colorado, and that for sure is a dangerous road. And I noted for you the following characteristics of dangerous roads. Number one, you can't see what's coming which means you have a very tiny margin of error if something goes wrong, and you can't turn around. Even if you wish you could, you are committed to the ending, whatever it might be. And finally, you don't know if those you meet are friend or foe, and that causes this realization, this recognition that I am vulnerable. So you hope that whoever you meet on the road is a friend, because if they are a foe, you are in trouble. Jesus specifically chooses to set this story on one of the most dangerous roads of this region, the road from Jerusalem to Jericho. Over its 18 miles, the elevation change is 3,300 feet, which means it's either straight up or straight down, depending on which direction you travel. With switchbacks and steep drops, it was the perfect place for robbers to hide and wait for a victim. And so this road had developed quite a notorious reputation. Discovering a man beaten so badly that you can't tell whether he is alive or dead, that is not a surprise on this road. A tragedy? Yes. A wrongful deed? Yes. 
A disturbing element of the story? Yes, all of those things. But a surprise? Not really. The other part of the story that we didn't get to address last week, we talked about some of those things, but we didn't get to address last week that Jesus tells this parable. If you notice, there's this bookend of his encounter with someone he names a lawyer. We'll talk a little bit about that. And then uh, the question at the end of the story. And so it's very clear that Jesus is telling this story in response to this encounter that he has with a lawyer. So for us, it'd be important to know that the definition used for lawyer in this particular text is not what we would think of as a lawyer. We would think of this as somebody more like a biblical scholar, someone who has spent a lot of time and a lot of energy learning the Torah or the law or the Old Testament. So this is someone who would be a biblical expert or an expert in the law. The text is quite clear as this story begins that this man who approaches Jesus intends to trap him by the conversation. So here's a way that I imagine this in my head. Not only is he unable to see the forest for the trees, he is unwilling to see the forest at all. So does that kind of give you an image of the person that we're, we're talking about? Instead, this lawyer, this law expert, wants to scrape each layer of bark off of one solitary tree, one layer at a time, and put it under a microscope and question it and say, is it really a tree? Is it really a tree? Is it really a tree? That, that's the person that Jesus encounters here. Meanwhile... The forest continues to exist completely beyond his awareness. So Jesus quickly realizes in these first few moments of conversation that that's what he is encountering. Let's take a, a closer look at this interaction. If you're looking in your Bibles or on your Bible app, I want to encourage you to notice the question that this lawyer asks Jesus. He says, what must I do to inherit eternal life? If you're a teacher, have you ever been asked the question, is this going to be on the... Okay. All right? That's an important question. Jesus, is this going to be on the test? What do I have to do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus points him toward the forest. He says, well, what is written in the law? And of course, the law expert sees a chance to shine, right? Because he knows the law. And he quotes it word for word, some of the most well-known passages in the Torah. And Jesus affirms him then. If you track on down, you'll see Jesus is saying, Great, you see the trees. Good for you. Live as a steward of the trees, and this forest will provide you a bright future. But the lawyer, the expert in the law, will not be dissuaded from dissecting the tree. And so he asks Jesus another question. So who is my neighbor? Have you been in this conversation? I have. No matter what response I offer, it never satisfies my conversation partner. He or she is always ready with the retort, but what about, but what about? Now this is the kind of conversation that Jesus is having with this man. He's trying to get him to lift his gaze. He's worried about dissecting each layer of the tree. Is it a tree? Is it a tree? Is it a tree? Jesus, what do I have to do? Jesus, is this going to be on the test? 
Come on, Jesus. And Jesus is trying to get him to, to sort of look up, right? There's the forest. Okay. Well, the only way that Jesus knows to do that is to tell a story. And so he does. He tells a story about a dangerous road. It was a road that would have been well known to his hearers. And he tells a story about three people who happen upon a man who has been beaten so badly that it is not clear whether he is dead or alive. Last week, we looked at the first person that encounters this man. He was a priest, a religious leader. This week, when Pastor Heather and I were doing some research for our sermon, we learned that it was common to see both priests and Levites, which is the character we'll encounter today. You might think of it as a temple assistant. But it was common to see both of them on the road because they were commuting from Jericho, where they lived, to Jerusalem for temple duty. Uh, it happens that uh, Jericho was a very lush area, very green, very wonderful. It was a great place to live. I don't know what your dream place is to live, but, you know, if you had a pick between Jericho and Jerusalem, you'd love to live in Jericho. And so a lot of people did. And those who had duties in the temple would uh, be on this road if this was uh, their choice because they knew it was dangerous. They wouldn't be on it alone, but they were commuting from uh, Jericho to Jerusalem for temple duty. What we see here is that Jesus sets the story and says they were going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, which means they were going back home when this happens. And he chooses the first two characters, a priest and a Levite, because they were frequent travelers on the road. And the hearers would have said, oh, yeah, of course you see a priest. Of course you see a Levite. So who is a Levite? Well, it's a religiously faithful man. It's not a priest. Priest had to be descended from Aaron. Priests were born into the priesthood. But other faithful followers chose to give themselves in service to Yahweh and the worship life of the community. They were very important and they were leaders and they, they knew the law, maybe not as well as the priest, but they were very familiar with it. And they supported the work of the community at the temple. So here are two suppositions that we could make about this character that Jesus names the Levite. He is not as likely to be impure by touching the wounded man. And if you remember last week, we said, you know, most people wouldn't think that the priest had done a bad thing because he might have lost at least a week of work by touching this body if it happened that this man was dead. So the Levite probably uh, was not as familiar with the law and wondered, uh-oh, what should I do here? I, I think the law probably says something about this, but I'm not exactly sure what it is. He probably would have become impure, but he might not have known that in the moment. And so he's questioning and wondering, what, what can I do? What does the law allow me to do? Finally, I want to notice for us that in this story, Jesus is creating a movement. And you know, when you all tell stories, I mean, last week I got to tell you the story about Phantom Road and how I remember it because it was uh, right before I got my driver's license and, you know, our family was on. So I'm, I'm setting this up, right? And you're following with the plot and the movement. Well, the same thing is happening here for these hearers. And they have not heard the end of the story, friends. So think about this movement that Jesus is creating and how it sounds to his audience. First, the highest official refuses the compassionate response. Oh. You know, and they're, they're conflicted. If they're hearing this, they're thinking, well, 
I can see why he would have done that. Well, it was a little dangerous. Well, what if it were a trap? And then, next, the committee chair. Let's think about it like that. It's maybe not quite a parallel, but, you know, Todd Osborne chairs our mission committee. So if you're the person laying in the road, not sure if you're alive or dead, and Todd Osborne comes by, first it's Pastor Heather and me, and we walk by on the other side. And then Todd Osborne comes along, and he walks by on the other side. Todd! Todd would never do that, friends. So see, I mean, Jesus is creating expectation here with this story, and naturally his hearers are thinking, where's he going to go with this? And they begin to to fill in the blanks, just like we do with stories. Oh, I bet, I know, I know how this is going to end. Jesus is going to shame those religious leaders, those elites, and it will be a Christian, Christmas and Easter Christian who comes along to save the day. Somebody who only shows up twice a year. They're going to be the ones that will reach out and touch this man and help him. Or maybe, maybe God's going to intervene and say, you know what? This is beyond any of you, and God's going to come in and save this man with an angel. Or maybe no one will intervene. And the religious community will have to live with the truth of how convenience led to an interpretation of the law that allowed someone to die. Friends, last week I quoted for you from the book of Numbers, and there certainly are laws about purity in the Jewish culture and religion. And, and they're there for a reason. But the understanding of the law is that it can never be interpreted in such a way that it would allow someone else to lose their life. Life is primary for our Jewish brothers and sisters. It is the highest value. And so even if you were afraid that you might be impure, that you might lose seven days of work, if you can look at that situation and know that it's either you or this person dies, then you go to a different expectation, a different parameter, a different law. And that is you have to save the person. Period. Dot. Now, that all involves negotiation, you know, up here in your head, trying to figure that out. But you can see why the hearers of this audience would have thought, oh no. No one. No one is going to stop. And this man who might have lived is going to die. Because of the law, the law that was supposed to protect his life. The law was supposed to make sure that he had someone to care for him. And he's going to die because convenience trumped inconvenience. By making the second character a Levite, Jesus is using a character that one would have expected to see on the road while also creating expectation among his hearers for where he will go next. So where do you think he's going to go next? Well, that's for next week. We're going to encounter the Samaritan, but you've heard the story, right? Where he goes next completely turns every assumption upside down. I can almost promise you there was no one in that audience who expected the ending. No matter what they thought the ending was going to be, they did not expect a Samaritan to be the one who saves this man's life. So I want to remind us this morning, friends. I'm sorry, I'm having a little trouble with my microphone. I'll get that worked on. Um, we face dangerous roads even today. 
if we allow this story to be a metaphor for life, I can see dangerous roads that exist for all of us. So a dangerous road could represent a situation, it could represent uh, a relationship, where those things that I mentioned at the beginning of the, the sermon are true, okay? That you can't see what's coming, you can't turn around, and you hope whoever you meet on this road is a friend, because if they're a foe, you're in trouble. So I'm going to offer to you three examples of dangerous roads that I feel like I'm walking right now, but I'm only doing that so that I can encourage you to consider what dangerous roads you're walking right now. We all have them. And I want to encourage you to name it a dangerous road. First, I am walking a dangerous road of post-pandemic leadership. I have been known to say that it was easier to shut the church down than it is to reopen it. Um, you know, that was a simple decision, of course. But now there are all kinds of decisions and layers and complications and differing opinions and, uh, you know, it's just, it's just hard. And so those of you that are here today, I know that many of you hold positions of leadership also, and you're discovering that post-pandemic leadership can be a dangerous road. Can I get an amen? Yeah, it's, it's hard no matter what situation you're in. What's safe? What's not safe? What's going to change with the variance? How close can you be? I mean, it's just, there's all kinds of questions in that. I am not alone, I'm certain, in walking this dangerous road. And I certainly don't have the sphere of influence. The stakes are not as high as they are for many of the leaders in our community. And I empathize with their walking of the dangerous road also. Still, when I look back at those characteristics of a dangerous road, that's what this feels like. We're too far now. We can't turn around. We sense our vulnerability because there isn't a back to go back to. And so what is the new going to be? And who's going to be there? And are they friend or are they foe? It's, it feels sort of uncertain and difficult and painful. And I know we all wish, oh, you know, we'll just go back to the way it was. We can't. The way it was isn't anymore. That's a dangerous road. Second, I'm walking a dangerous road in trying to navigate our de denominational quagmire. I decided to use that word because it's just kind of fun. It makes me smile when I think about a painful situation. But in the United Methodist Church, it's difficult right now. And if anybody tells you they know what the future holds for the United Methodist Church, don't believe them. No one knows what the future holds. It is just uncertain. This week, I passed the 24th anniversary of my ordination. This is the stole that was laid around my shoulders at my ordination. But I'll tell you what, 24 years is kind of too late to turn around. <laughs> you know, I'm committed to this road committed to the ending of it. It does feel uncertain. I can't see very far ahead. I don't know who's lying in wait. I don't know if the people that I meet on this road are friend or foe. It's just a dangerous road. It's hard. And third, I'm walking a dangerous road in a family situation in my life that continues to unfold with new twists and turns every week. 
Perhaps some of you have the beautiful privilege of having those dangerous roads in your own family. Or, you know, you think, okay, okay, we kind of got this figured out. And, oh, no, we don't. <laughs> yeah. So those are my dangerous roads, okay? But you have yours. So what I would ask you, again, are you on a dangerous road in your life right now? Those characteristics of you can't turn around, you're committed to the ending, whatever it is. That feeling of vulnerability. Whereas before you might have been able to be more generous with the people you meet on this road and now you're finding it hard because you don't know if they're friend or foe. It's just places you in that tiny margin of error. You just don't have enough space to make a mistake right now. And you can't see the future. Now I want you to take a moment to notice how you feel when you name that experience a dangerous road. How does that feel? Now you're ready to stand your experience alongside this story that Jesus tells. There are two approaches on a dangerous road. One is to keep your head down, to protect yourself, to keep moving. And we have seen that approach from the priest and now today from the Levite. But the second approach is to pay attention on this dangerous road, to notice what you see to take advantage of the opportunities that have been given to you, whether they feel like opportunities or not. Now, I need to tell you that the way I'm wired up means that I live through the lens of caution. I find myself always going to the worst-case scenario. That's true about me. Um, anxiety is never far away from my experience because I always know how this could go badly. So fear is a reality. What that means for me is that when I am on a dangerous road, do you know what approach I'm going to take? The first one. Just put my head down. Just keep, keep moving. Okay, we just got to get to the end. Just don't, uh, don't bother me with the situation or the facts or any. Just, we just got to get to the end of this. I don't know. You probably have different ways that you approach the dangerous road. But my question to you is... If you're on a dangerous road right now, if that parallel works in your life, what approach are you taking? Are you taking the put your head down, protect yourself, get through it? Or are you taking the, huh, I want to pay even more attention right now. I want to notice what I see. I want to call that opportunity instead of a problem or an inconvenience. Because here's the challenge that Jesus gives me in this parable, perhaps you as well. The evidence for eternal life. Remember what the lawyer asked Jesus, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And the evidence is that eternal life is found in the second approach. And so I would ask us this week, what will be your approach?